chapter 12. Uh, in your Bibles, John chapter 12, you've got a version app. You can use that. I'll click on live events, and uh, my notes will be there. Uh, and uh, let me, let me uh, I remember years ago, it was, gosh, seven years ago now, um, that I remember putting together the first egg drop, and which, is, which, which was our Easter event that year. And, um, and I remember the thousands of details uh, being put together for that event. And I remember Joel and I working on it together, a very small core team at the time. We weren't even launched as a church. And I just remember the thousands of details that went into uh, an event like that. And so what's, what's interesting about this year is I haven't done any of that. Um, and I'm super glad. And so <clears throat> let me tell you, though, uh, just publicly recognized. So Heather Turner, is Heather in the room? Are you in the room? She's probably taking care of something else. But um, so Heather Turner, ministry assistant, and she, uh, she has handled everything for this event. Uh, she completely takes it on, uh, head, head on. And, uh, and so we even asked in staff meeting this week, hey, is there anything that like, I need to do? And she looks right at me and says, nope. I said, that is awesome. So, like, I'm just showing up just like you guys. Uh, and I get a bullhorn today, which is kind of fun. Uh, but, uh, but otherwise, uh, just make sure you give her a hug and just say thank you because she has done uh, an amazing job uh, with the extravaganza. It's been her vision, her, and she's done a great job with everything to do with that. So uh, make sure you give her a big hug. It's just an incredible effort um, making sure that all the details of that uh, get done. So. Uh, so John chapter 12, that's where we're going to be. Have you ever done this? Have you ever, have you ever made a decision that at the time you, uh, you didn't know that that particular decision was going to be as good as it was? Like uh, as good as it, like you, you kind of made the decision and then looking back at that decision, you said, man, that was a really good decision. Like I, the consequences of that were really good for my life. And I, I look back on it with a fond memory of I'm glad that I made, and something in me made a very wise decision regarding whatever it was. And uh, you look back and you say, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm a smart guy. I'm a smart girl, and, and, and I'm glad that I made that decision. Um, I, uh, this, this past week, I had, or I'm sorry, a couple weeks ago, uh, I had a conversation, text conversation with a family member of mine, uh, and he was asking, uh, hey, do you have a recommendation? I need a new good book that I can read. Uh, do, you, do you have a recommendation? So we were kind of chatting back and forth about that. I made a recommendation of a book that I had read, and I thought it was really good, and I made a recommendation back to him, and he bought it on Amazon. Two weeks later, he just texted me this week. He said, I just want to thank you for telling me about this book. It, it has radically changed my life uh, and my walk with the Lord. And I'm like, wow, like radically changed your life. I mean, I'm kind of wondering, like going back to that book, like I didn't radically change my life. I'm glad that it radically changed yours. But like, and so I'm just like kind of giving myself a little pat on the back. Like, yeah, well, it was a good recommendation. I'm awesome at this, you know? And, uh, and, and so I, I look back and say, wow, I, that felt good. I'm glad that I made a wise decision. I mean, I made a very wise decision with my wife, you know? Amen, right? Uh, and, and like, you know, dating her, pursuing her, uh, getting married, that, that's probably like my knucklehead 20-year-old self made a very wise decision uh, in that moment. I look back on that very fondly and say, well, how did I make such a good decision? That was incredible, and uh, the consequences of that have been awesome, right? I had a conversation with a woman in our church recently, um, and she was struggling through, she came to me and she was struggling through some depression, uh, and she's really, she needed some counseling, and she really struggled through some depression, uh, and I, um, well, she was like, do you have any advice for that? I'm just, I don't know, I'm just kind of at the end of my rope, and I'm, uh, I don't know how to move on. Life's just kind of caving in on me, 
And I suggested to her that she begin to, like many, like many victims of depression, you, oftentimes you, you look internally, and you're looking into yourself, and you're constantly thinking about yourself and what your needs are, um, and often that's the advice to even be taken. But I, I, told her, I told her, hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you spend some time thinking about other people? Why don't you join a missional community where you're going to serve other people? Why don't you join a Sunday morning service crew where you're going to spend your whole morning serving other people? Why don't you look for opportunities at work or wherever you are where you begin to think about other people's needs? And she said, well, I'll do anything. I'm desperate. I don't know, I don't know how to solve this problem, and I'm, I'm, having, I'm just having doubts about life, and I, I, need, I need to change. And, I, and she's like, okay, I'll make that decision. So she joined a missional community. She joined a Sunday morning service crew. She began to serve other people. And, and just, she came up to me later and just said, I am thriving. Life is so much better because all, everyone else told me to look at myself. Everyone else told me to take some me time. Everyone else told me to like just, just focus in on me. And that wasn't working. And so just thank you for that advice. And she's making a decision. And she's like, I didn't know how good of a decision that was going to be when you first made it. But now that it's, it's just making, paying some really big dividends in my life, I'm glad that I made that decision. Such a wise decision. And these type of moments, when you make good decisions and they have catastrophic results to your life later, it gets addictive, like a good kind of addictive. And you're like, I really want to make more decisions like that. How can I continue to make good decisions in my life that are going to continue to pay me off later? And how can I keep doing it? I want to keep going on that kind of role. And, um, and how do I stay like that? In John chapter 12, this is exactly where we find the disciples. They are making an incredibly wise decision. And they are saying some things that are really great. And I'm not even really sure that they know that they're making these kind of decisions. So let's look at it. John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 12 and following. Here we go. It says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now here's here's where I want to focus. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that, that, that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Such an incredible passage. We celebrate this on Palm Sunday, which is today. And so, and so here's what's happening in this passage. You have what's called the triumphal procession, or this idea of a conquering hero. And this would have been a normal thing. Like, think Super Bowl champions parade, okay? Whenever, like, a big-name team uh, wins the, the, the championship, they then have a parade of the victorious heroes, right? Uh, and so this is, 
uh, this is a, a little picture of that. So in Jerusalem, they're going to have this kind of parade where Jesus is the main event, and he's coming into the city of Jerusalem. So they begin to, uh, they begin to wave palm branches. And in Roman society, palm branches re- represented peace or victory, okay? And so th- it's not, it's, they're not just, you know, people who hate trees, okay? They, 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 they really, they, it symbolized victory. So they would have taken down all these palm branches, and on his way, they would have laid them down on the ground. And another portion of scripture, it says that they also would take off their cloaks. They would take off their outer garment, and they would lay them on the ground for the, uh, the donkey or the horse to come alongside and, and, and kind of creating this kind of red carpet for Jesus, okay? Uh, and so this is, uh, this, so think, think that, they think, here's what's happening. In their mind, they think that this Jesus who just raised Lazarus from the dead, who has done all these miraculous things, he's finally coming to Jerusalem, and they think that he is about to take over. They think that he's about to take victorious power from the leaders and governors of Jerusalem. They think that, that he is their victorious hero. So it's a victory parade before the victory, which is interesting. And so the palm branches represent victory. You have the donkey, which is very interesting because he's not riding in on a victorious war horse. He's riding in on a donkey. And this is very important because it's, it's, uh, it's actually fulfilling prophecy from the Old Testament. So the, don- the donkey that he's riding on often symbolizes peace. So he's a, he's a king that's coming in peace, which I love. And they say these words, Hosanna, which means, Hosanna means save us or save us, Lord, from Psalm chapter 118. Now, I love that they add this. They say, they'll say, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And then in this particular passage, they say, even this, even him, he is the king of Israel. And they add that to this, which is, which is awesome. And so they, they had some foresight into who this person was. But here's the deal. In verse 16, and I think we can fully understand, I, can full, I think we can put ourselves in this place. In verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But yet they were doing the right thing. They were saying the right things. They were saying the right words. They were actually speaking the words of Scripture from hundreds of years before that were meant for this very moment. They were doing exactly the right thing, saying the exact right words, and they didn't know what they were doing, and they didn't know that their decision was exactly what they should be doing. And I think that we find ourselves sometimes in that exact same place when we come into this place specifically and proclaim Jesus to be the king. I think sometimes we don't fully understand the weight of exactly what we're saying. When we read our Bibles, when we spend time at home, gathering together under the word of God, and we say, and, and, and we think, yeah, I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be doing this walk with Christ. I don't think that we fully understand the weight of everything that we're doing. When we're praying, we're praying to the God of the universe. Sometimes I don't even think we get that. But we're making great decisions in those moments, and they're better than we think. They're much better than we think. And here's the deal. If you're taking notes, here's the deal. I think that his kingship is more than we think. His kingship is more than we think. See, we as Americans, uh, we don't live in a monarchy. um, And we have very little concept of this whole idea of royalty and kingship. Um, It doesn't, it's not a deep part of our history. Because here's the deal. Our forefathers, 
Now, 200 plus years ago, they revolted against tyranny and against the king. And so from that point in history, uh, it kind of changed our American idea of the monarchy. We don't have that. So we don't know the depth or the weight of it at all. And so for, from our, our, our vantage point, our idea of the monarchy, kings, queens, princes, princesses, is more of a Disney fantasy type way that it kind of interests us, but it holds no weight on us. We don't serve a king in America, right? We are a government of the people. And so we don't, when we talk about this idea of kingship in the Bible and that Jesus is our king, I'm not really sure. Although we sing it, we talk about it, we might even address Jesus as our king, I'm not even sure that we gather all of it because it is much more, uh, much more than we think. And we as Americans, we don't even like authority. We're rebels at heart. That's who we are. We like to, we like to stay against the authority, right? We're against the man. Um, but, but we need to understand the weight of it but Jesus fully understood the weight of it. If you turn just one page back in your Bible, in, in, in the beginning of chapter 12, you have this story, which is beautiful, and you can read it later. But what happens, Jesus is reclining at a table, he's eating dinner, and Mary, who's the sister of Lazarus, comes up to Jesus. She takes this very expensive oil, very expensive fragrant oil, that would have been worth hundreds of dollars. She breaks it and she... She bathes Jesus' feet in this oil. And everyone around is like, why are you doing that? Like, wh- why would you? He's not, he's not a king. Why, what are you doing? You're, this, this money could be, this, this, this thing could be used for, to gain a lot of money, to feed a lot of people. And Jesus allows her to do it. Why? Because Jesus knows that he's the king and kings get anointed. So then you have this picture where Jesus is riding and, and he's allowing people at this moment, he's riding on a donkey through the, through the city of Israel and he is allowing all of these people to praise him and declare Old Testament prophecies about him specifically. And they're, he's allowing them to worship him in this way, to put their coats on the ground, to put these palm branches on the ground, to worship him. And he's allowing that to happen. Why? Because Jesus knows that he's the king. Later in John chapter 18, you have this conversation between Jesus and Pilate. Now, Pilate was the man in charge in Jerusalem. He was the governor. Okay, so Jesus is having a private conversation with Pilate. And Pilate is asking him, are you the king? And Jesus says this in in verse 36 of chapter 18. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But here's the deal. My kingdom is not of this world. It's much deeper and bigger than that. Pilate had this small city. He thought he was a big deal. And he, all these people were just like, He's, you know, Jesus is coming to take over Jerusalem. I mean, you're only talking about 100,000 people. And Jesus is like, my kingdom is significantly bigger than this. If you think that this is a big deal, you're mistaken. I'm the king of the universe. This is a much bigger deal. And so we, as in the Christian life, our idea is that we need to press further into this understanding of the kingship of Jesus. So when we do our Bible reading, we are actually learning how to be citizens of the kingdom. We're praying, we're talking with Jesus, we're conversing with the king of the universe. That's heavy. 
That's good. That's a good decision on our part that's going to pay dividends in the future. The second thing that I think that is more than that we think is, is, is his authority. That Jesus' authority is significantly more than we think. So not only is his kingship, this idea of his royalty, but his authority is much more than we think. Let me read a couple of scriptures to you. They'll be up on the screen. Just follow along. But I want you to just feel the weight of Jesus' authority. This is the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. It says that he, meaning God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all. Here it is. Get, get this. Just 21. Circle it, underline it, highlight it, whatever you want to do. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things. What's that? Say it again. All things, all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. You know what all things is in Greek? All things. Everything. That Jesus Christ is over, has authority over everything. Everything. Not some things, not over Jerusalem, everything. He proved this. I love the moments where you kind of see the kingship of Jesus come out. There was a moment where they were coming later to, uh, to, to arrest Jesus. And Peter gets a little antsy at this point. And he pulls out a sword. And he thinks that he's going to protect Jesus. <laughs> That's great. Um, so he thinks he's going to protect Jesus. And he slices off the ear of one of the soldiers that is there. And Jesus heals them. And Jesus says this, Matthew 26, 53. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Do you not think that I have the authority? Of course I do. I'm doing this because I want to. Jesus has the authority to cast out demons. Jesus has the authority to heal people. Jesus has the authority to, to raise the dead. He has the authority to forgive all sin. Jesus has full authority to do everything. And every time we trust him, we are placing our lives into the one who has the most power in all of the universe. That's why we want to trust him. That's why we should put our lives in that place. Because he holds all things, not just some things. You might think, oh, well, God doesn't really speak into this a little bit. He holds all things under his dominion and under his control. Have you trusted him? Have you trusted him? I spent some time uh, with my friend from Eagle Harbor that you guys saw in the baptistry pool uh, just last week. His name is Ronald. And I spent some time on the porch with him explaining the gospel. We had a great conversation. And, uh, and the best part of that conversation is when he prayed to receive Christ into his life to eternally forgive him of his sins and so that he's a believer now. And I remember, uh, you know, we said amen together and he lifted up his eyes and he looked at me and I, and I looked at him and he's, he's only 12. And so I, so I looked at him and I said, Ronald, you just made the most important decision of your entire life. <laughs> like that's a little weighty for a 12 year old right? But it's true. And I, I'm not, you know, in that moment, I'm not sure that he gathered every bit of it, but it's absolutely true that when we come to Christ and when we place our lives in the hands of Christ, we are making the best decision that we could ever make far beyond our marriage, far beyond our children, far beyond our job, far beyond everything. That decision to follow Jesus, to 
place our life in the hands of Christ, in the one that has full authority and full kingship, that is the most weighty decision that we could ever make, and it is the best decision that we can ever make, even if we fully don't understand it. So not only do we not completely understand the kingship of Christ nor the authority of Christ, I think there's one more thing. I think that our inheritance, our inheritance is more than we think. That our inheritance is more than we think. And here's the deal, and I want you to listen. If you don't get anything else, here's what I want you to get. Most of us think that the Christian life is about doing enough things to make God like us and doing the right things or checklist of things or coming to church or doing enough good works or even trusting Jesus that we just do enough of the right things in order to just barely make it into heaven. That our goal is just at the end of life, whenever that moment is going to come, that if we can just get in the gate, I just want to get in the gate. I just don't want to go to H-E double hockey stick. Okay, I just don't, I don't want to go to that place. I want to go to heaven. And our, my goal is just simply to get there. And that's it. Our inheritance is much more than that. The Christian life is so much more than that. That's the low bar. That's the smallest goal. Entrance into eternity with Jesus, although beautiful and majestic and awesome, is just the smallest part of our faith. There's so much more to it than that. And so my hope is that we as Christians will grow in our understanding of our faith so that we might know our full inheritance, that our goal is not merely to get ourselves into the gate, but is to begin to understand our full eternity. Here's how I know this, is that you, if, you, if you were to look in your Bibles, you don't have to turn there, but in Genesis you have Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created as a king and queen of the earth. That's what they were. That they were given full authority over the earth. And God gives them this authority and says, you need to put all things under your submission. And that you are to steward everything that I have created. And then Adam and Eve broke God's heart by sinning against him. And from that very moment, our dominance over the earth has gone lower and lower and lower and lower. And we've lost control. If you look out onto the world, it is simply, when you see bad things happen on the news, as you see all the time, the reason why all that happens is because we have failed as kings and queens of the universe. We, we are allowing other things to dominate. We're allowing other evils to dominate the world. We're allowing sin to dominate the world. But here's the, the good part is, as you look in the book of Acts, what happens? In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit of God comes in and dwells into the people of God. And so what were kings and queens of the universe back in Adam and Eve, and we lost it for so long, and then the presence of God then enters his church, and we become reconcilers. What do we do? We begin to take dominion again. And we begin to, we begin to restore the things that were broken. And so Jesus, we've been talking about this idea of these identities of Jesus, that Jesus was a prophet, that God calls him a prophet and says, you need to listen to him. Last week we talked about this idea that Jesus was a priest, our great high priest out of Hebrews, right? He was our great high priest, that Jesus was a prophet, and Jesus was a, I'm sorry, Jesus was a priest. And today I'm going to tell you, Jesus is a king. They're proclaiming him to be the king, which is absolutely true. What's fun about the prophet, priest, and king is that Jesus gives us those offices as well. 
And he says, you are to be prophet to your community, to speak the truth to your community. You are to be a priest to your community. And it's not just prophet and priest, it's kings and queens. That that might seem ultra weird, but let me prove it to you in Scripture. In Revelation 22, 3 through 5, read this. This is great. No longer, this is at the end of time, right? No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb of God will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be there for, uh, beyond their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or, uh, or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And get this, here's the, here's the pronoun here. And they, they will reign forever and ever. They will reign forever. That is not a typo. Revelation 3, 21. The one who conquers, meaning the church, I will grant him where? To sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Revelation 3 says this. We as the church, that we are more than conquerors. And here's our place. It's not just, I hope that I step into heaven. I hope that I barely make it into heaven. No, where is our place? Our place is sitting on the throne with Christ. That's not barely making it, folks. Paul says this in Romans 8, 16 through 17. The Spirit of himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then what? Heirs. Heirs of what? The kingdom. The kingdom of God. What is our place? And why would God make us kings and queens of the universe? Because God's whole plan from out from etern- from eternity past to eternity future, the entire idea is to build a kingdom. That that kingdom would come to full realization. And in Genesis, it was broken. Adam and Eve, um, they they set up Adam and Eve to rule. They didn't do a good job of it. But the original design was kingdom rule. That was the whole point. And so when we come alongside of what God wants to do in this world, and we begin to love, and we begin to serve, we begin to heal, and we begin to give, and we begin to forgive, when we are doing all those things, we are restoring the kingdom that God originally designed for this place. Don't think that you're merely just helping somebody out. Think that you are acting as a king and queen of the universe, restoring the kingdom to where it was supposed to be. Underneath the rule and reign of the kingdom. That's our original purpose. And we do it. Now, Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus is our great high king. And we serve underneath him for all of eternity. But he allows us to sit on the throne with him. And I know that that sounds crazy. But it's absolutely true in this scripture. And so, the, so, so we have to think through what does this mean? So I said earlier that sometimes we make decisions that have you know, awesome benefits in the, in the, in the future. And we're, we want to make more decisions like that. So how do we function now as kings and queens of the universe? Okay, how does that work? Well, I think that we just go back to the passage that we just read to get some ideas on how we're supposed to live. The first thing is this. So how do, we go, how do we come down off the throne here for a second and understand how we're supposed to live? Number one is we display some humility. We display some humility. You see Jesus right here? He is 
the supreme commander, king of the universe, and he's riding in on a donkey. Not a war horse, a donkey. And he has all the supreme power, but he's coming in as a peaceful servant. And the people, the people, the people who are worshiping Jesus are laying down their coats before the king, which means I'm going to take my agenda, what is mine, what I think that I own, and I'm going to lay it down beside the king. That's humility. I'm going to take everything that I have, and we might think, you might be thinking, I, I don't really, I'm not really sure I'm grasping all this whole king and queen of the universe talk. Like, that just seems a little pompous to me. It seems a little prideful. But here's the deal. We think of kings and queens as being these, you know, people who stick their noses up at people and they're tyrannical or whatever and they make rules and they don't love. But that's not Jesus. And so we have to take our cues from him, from our great high king. And we take our humility from him, that we place our lives on the line, that we do everything. And our identity doesn't come from the fact that we have a title. Our identity comes from the fact that we have a king, and it's it's all about him and not us. So we display that kind of humility. Number two, so we display some humility. Number two, we give undignified praise, undignified praise. These people are in the streets shouting and praising Jesus in a very undignified way. What I love about our church, and what a great worship time together, uh, just singing the praises of Jesus with our hands raised, complete abandon and surrender. What a fantastic idea. And, And here's the idea. The idea is that when we have our king with us, that we can be undignified in front of him. That we don't have to think, okay, what are other people going to think about me? What are my people in my workplace? If I really kind of come out as a Christian and I begin to do all of these things that Christians do, that I begin to talk to people about being a Christian, that I begin to talk about Jesus all the time, what's going to happen? What's my reputation? What are people going to think about me? These people didn't care. They didn't care when Jesus walked down the street and they gave up their coat. They sang and praised Hosanna, this is the one who's going to save. And that's the picture of the church. An undignified praise towards him. And lastly, here's the deal, that we live without fear. Number three, that we live without fear. I love this line. It says, it says this in, I think, verse 15. It says, fear not, daughter of Zion, your king is coming. Fear not, why? Because your king is coming. We live in the most comfortable and safe place that the church has ever been. We, now get the, so think about that for a second. The church in America has never, ever in its history been more comfortable and more safe than it ever has been except for right now. Yet, we have more anxiety and more fear than ever before. Why does that? Why is it that we deal with more anxiety and fear now even when we're comfortable? It doesn't make any sense. We should be risking ourselves that we shouldn't live with any fear. And so what? So what if something happens? So what if I lost my job? So what if I lost my house? So what if I, what if, what if I lost all my money? What if I lost all my stuff? What if I did? I still have the king. I still have everything I need in the king. And so that's, that's the idea of living without 
without fear. If I have the king, I have everything that I need. That's, that's why these people that we call missionaries that go all over the world to tell people about Jesus, and we look at them with just such mystery. How is it that you give everything up? How is it that you give up your homeland? How is it that you give up your money? How is it that you give up all your friendships? Because they're looking at you and saying, I have the king. What else do I need? I don't need anything else besides the king. And so our idea of that has to permeate our brain and think through, I need to live without fear by simply having the king. So how are you going to use your kingship or your queenship? How are you going to do that? Are you going to be a good king, a bad king, a lethargic king, a lazy king? How are you going to use that? Live with humility. Live without fear. And you might look at it and say, Charlie, <laughs> I don't even know that I'm, I've ever made that decision. And I don't know about all this kingship stuff. And I don't, I don't know if I've ever surrendered to that. And if that's, not, if that's you, if you've never surrendered to a relationship with Christ, the God of the universe, the king of the universe, wants you to be his child. He's desiring you. He brought you into this place for a purpose. And you are hearing the good news of Jesus because he wants you to hear it. And he desires to have a relationship with you. That's why we exist as a church, so that people might know Jesus, that they might know the king, and then as kings and queens of the universe, we might be able to go out and display the kingdom and put it up, put it, put it up so everybody can see it. We can begin to heal and love and restore this community. So if you, if you need a relationship with Christ, please come and talk to me. Come and talk about a relationship, and we'd love to walk you through what it means to be a king and queen. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You always have been. Um, King Jesus, we proclaim ourselves as in desperate need of you all the time. And that no matter all the things of this life, all the comforts, all the anxieties, all the fears, God, we lay them down before you. God, sometimes I, I don't even know when I sing words or I pray or I reading your scripture, uh, God, I, I don't know that I'm even really following the weight of it all. I think I find myself in the place of the disciples that they were saying these things about you, but they didn't fully grasp them. So God, I pray most of all that we would, as a church, begin to grasp the, small, the huge nature in small ways, we begin to take steps that we, we would know the, the big picture of your kingdom. God, thank you for rescuing us through Jesus. And um, I'm thankful that you stepped away from your throne, came down to be amongst us, that you walked with us, that you processed into the city of Jerusalem, tried, innocently convicted, and then you were crucified on a cross for us in our place. King on his throne in Thank you for not staying dead. Oh, and thank you for resurrecting to now that you sit at the right hand of the Father and you are pleading with us not to merely step into the gates of heaven, but to walk all the way to the throne room and sit right there with you. Help us to know our place. And help us to know our responsibility. Jesus, we love you. And as always, proclaim you as our King.